we have to remember that it's one thing to set a boundary and it's another thing to maintain a boundary, two separate things. (laughs) And the other thing, and I really will say this is sort of the secret about boundaries that no one, that no one talks about is that it's up to us to uphold respect and honor our own boundaries. It's not up to anyone else. So we get resentful We think other people are crossing our boundaries. Perhaps you had the idea that this client was crossing your boundaries. And the truth of the matter is it's because we're allowing someone Mm -hmm. to cross. We're enabling someone to cross our boundary. So the maintaining of the boundary always has to come back to what am I putting in place to ensure that this boundary doesn't get crossed and how am I going to take care of myself in the process? Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 636. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and today I am especially thrilled about our guest, but before I even introduce her, I want to let you know how everything just comes around full circle, and you can have a book sitting on your bookshelf for years. I don't want to admit how many years this one book was sitting on my shelf for. Honestly, I don't even know. But a friend kept on nudging me, read it, read it, read it. And then one day it just screamed out at me. And the book was Worthy by Nancy Levin. Nancy is our guest today. And if you haven't read Worthy, I'm just going to be the first one to nudge you. But Nancy is a master coach, a radio host, and author of several books, including her upcoming book, Setting Boundaries Will Set You Free. Nancy, I'm so thrilled to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks so much. I had to tell you, and I told you in the pre-chat, that everything, I think the word I used was synchronistic. I know I was making up (laughs) words then. But this year, and I don't want to date it because somebody in the future might be listening, but this year has especially been really huge for me in boundary setting. Mm -hmm. And I know a little bit of your story, but could you share a little bit with the listeners? Um, I would even love for a little bit of context on worthy, but then the evolution to boundaries, because it's so important whether or not they're even an entrepreneur, why this is also important. Yes, absolutely. So I, I'll begin, I'll begin my story with um, the most pertinent piece as it links in with what, with what you're asking me to share. I was the event director at Hay House for 12 years And I was traveling the world, producing live events with the greatest minds in the field of self-empowerment, motivation, Louise Hay, Wayne Dyer, Debbie Ford, Marianne Williamson, you name it, I was with them. And yet, I always say I had a front row seat and a backstage pass, and yet there teachings really couldn't fully land in me until I was going through a real dark crisis of my own that was my divorce. So in, in 2008, my whole, my marriage, my world began to crumble. I had been 
expending a lot of effort managing the perception of others, wanting to project an image of perfection to the world, wanting to be seen through the lens that I provided people to see me through. And my biggest fear was really any sort of exposure that I, would, that I wouldn't be able to sort of control that perfect image. And all of that came crashing down. I had been, you know, hiding the truth of my marriage behind closed doors and it had been crumbling for quite some time. And in 2008, it was, there was a massive eruption. You can read all about it in Jump In Your Life Will Appear if anyone's interested. (laughs) And, uh, it led me into this deep soul searching place. And it took me about two years to leave my marriage. And in 2010, as I was, as I was in the process of getting divorced, my dear friend and mentor, Debbie Ford, invited me to actually participate in one of her workshops instead of produce it. She said, you know, your team can produce this, your staff can do this, you need to sit your butt in the chair and do these exercises and do the healing work to get onto the other side of this. Mm. And that was really a massive pivot for me. So it was during that time that I was doing this deep work on myself that I was actually finally able to set boundaries for probably the first time in my life well into my 40s. So I was the type of person who was, you know, as a people pleaser, overachiever, not rock the boater, (laughs) you know, I was always in to the knee jerk. Yes. You know, let me do anything that I can do to be the one and the only one to be the hero so that I can get accolades. I can get external validation. I can get approval, you know, and I also didn't want anyone to be disappointed or upset, you know, so I would just go always into the knee jerk. Yes. And then we all know what happens when we do the knee-jerk yes. Oh, my gosh. I don't know a thing about that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like within two seconds, you're like, how the heck do I get out of this now? (laughs) It's like buyer's remorse. Right. It is. It's exactly like that. And so, so much of it is really understanding that we, we have to, we really have to own our no in order to free our true yes. And so... The first real strong no that I that I was able to say was actually after being kicked out of the house that I bought and paid for five times by my now ex-husband, I did not go back the fifth time. Wow. And that was that really was like the birth of boundaries for me in my life, not going back. And you know, really understanding where I end, someone else begins, and understanding that, you know, our boundaries are really our limits around what we will or will not do, will or will not accept, and will or will not tolerate. And we have to know this. We have to know about our non-negotiables. We have to know about our priorities in order to be able to set healthy and effective boundaries that stick And so this was really the beginning of this for me. And then as I, as I was going through the divorce and as I write about in worthy, you know, you mentioned worthy, it was a, that worthy is a profound book for me. (laughs) Uh, It was a profound uh, 
exploration of around responsibility and seeing the connection between self-worth and net worth. Because in my divorce mediation, you know, I was the breadwinner in my, in my marriage. We had no children and my lawyer had said that our position walking into the mediation was that we were not going to agree to pay any maintenance. You know, in other words, I, I wasn't going to give anything more than what I had given. And within moments, my lawyer, my ex-husband's lawyer had come in and, uh, had made an offer that was ridiculous. And, my lawyer, instead of doing what we had agreed on, which was our position is no maintenance, he began negotiating. And I completely froze because I didn't know that I could say no. I didn't know this piece about self-worth, net worth, and I was devaluing my own worth Mm -hmm. all around by letting him take charge instead of standing up and and saying, no, I'm not, we're not going to do this. I'm not agreeing to this. We're not going to continue. And, you know, the me I am right now <laughs> would never have agreed to what I agreed to in that divorce mediation. However, I can also say it's one of these catch-22s. Had I not been through that experience, I don't know that I would have been able to grow into the woman I am now. Oh, I love that you said that. Yeah, it's true. You know, it was for me, you know, the turning point of recognizing, you know, you know, so I said, you know, a big, a big through line of worthy is around responsibility, you know, and this is also a piece that ties in with boundaries. Uh, because we often, you know, I was going through, I was coming out of my mediation and going through my divorce proceedings with, you know, he took this from me or I had to give this to him in, and it was a massive shift in empowerment when I was able to come to the place of, I said yes to this. I signed, I signed off on this. He didn't take anything from me. I gave it to him. I I said, yes. I want to share what was the biggest and that it's very coincidental. And I didn't realize the years that you were going through all this because I was actually going through much of the same thing Ah. at the same time. In, Mm -hmm. In 2008, I, I was trying very unsuccessfully to run my first business and yep. he being my ex had me admitted to the dental, yeah, into the dental, into the mental hospital mm. and contacted a divorce attorney while I was in there. However, he didn't go through with it. He was the primary breadwinner. I was an interior architect and I lost my job later that year with the economy tanking. And mm-hmm. I live outside of Dayton, Ohio. Yep. It is not <clears throat> the interior design Mecca here. Right. <laughs> right. But, um, I didn't have any spiritual practice uh, or personal development practice or anything. I had never been raised with one. Tony, Tony Robbins was somebody I sort of stumbled upon and through a friend in 2009, uh, he was a new friend. Then my chiropractor actually introduced me to the law of attraction and that started a whole huge chain of events. So had I not lost my job, right? Had I not gotten and I'd like to even back that up to being admitted to the mental hospital and being out of work for six weeks. And if had that not have happened, I wouldn't have been at the network meeting where I met the chiropractor who introduced me to the law of attraction, who gave me the whole glimpse that I have the right to choose whether or not I'm happy. Right. 
Yeah. But where the where your book came in and where I was wishing when I read it that it had been there <laughs> 10 years before, but it wouldn't yeah. have been, was the when you talk about um, housewives, and I think there needs to be a better word for it than that, but women who keep the house going, or even men, in my case, my husband keeps the house going, mm -hmm. uh, they are just as much entitled to the money that comes in because they make it happen behind the scenes. Yeah, there's a whole, I would say there's a real epidemic um, uh, around this concept of, you know, women who don't feel like they're worthy or deserving of the money that is, that is brought in if they are not the, if they are not the earners of it. And I think it actually stems back to the fact that out of fear and avoidance of conflict, money conversations and money agreements aren't made early on, early enough, early mm -hmm. on in, in the relationship, in the marriage. The night before I left my ex, he actually took away my car keys, my phone. Like he had already cut my access to the internet mm -hmm. because he, quote, paid the bills. Yep. I'm like, what the heck? No, yeah. that doesn't happen. So anyway, I left that and I'm here now, but I, I turned 40 this year and mm -hmm. I have to say, I finally feel like I grew up. There's mm. still a lot more growth to happen, but it wasn't until this year that I started saying no to people. Yeah. And it's still damn scary. It's really scary. Yeah. It, and here's the thing, you know, that I always come back to is, you know, we've been saying no to ourselves for a very long time. And when we, when we don't say an external no, <laughs> You know, and we're not saying the external no because we're wanting to avoid conflict most often. You know, it's some sort of fear of conflict. Mm -hmm. When we don't say, when we don't say no, and when we don't, when we don't step into the possibility of external conflict, which doesn't actually always have to be bad, by the way. Conflict doesn't have to equal bad. Conflict can simply be that we have differences, when we don't step into the external conflict, we create more internal conflict. We create more internal chaos. So we end up disappointing ourselves. We choose, we choose to continue to disappoint ourselves, to continue to take the hit instead of risk someone else being disappointed or even angry. That is so profound. And that is exactly what was happening with me. Yeah. I, and I would love to know what your thoughts are about this, but I had concerns over scarcity mindset. If I said mm -hmm. no, what mm -hmm. if I say no to this and nothing else comes? I had concern over being disliked if I said no. And, mm -hmm. but I do also take major responsibility for every yes I, I gave. When I finally stepped up to one person and said no, I had been giving away so much free time. It's embarrassing. Yes. I will not put a number yeah. on it. Yeah. But their uh, failure to take action was, yeah. I, I allowed myself to take responsibility for their failure to take action and end up giving away so much time that when I cut it off, the person was really angry mm -hmm. and ended up lying. And mm -hmm. it came back and bit me in more ways than I could have ever imagined. And that's going back. If I could, I would have just said no right up front. No. Right. I mean, as an entrepreneur, no, I'm sorry. That's 
actually, and that's another weakness of mine is the I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, really, yep. I'm not sorry. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm actually glad you caught that and you said something because I was about to. So <laughs> thank you. I mean, yeah. I just want to kick all sorries out of me unless they yeah. really are deserving. But yeah, unless they are deserving. Yeah. No, that's not included in this contract. You mm -hmm. will have to either pay me <clears throat> to have that done or find a find a different contractor to take care of that. Exactly. So then it all comes back to boundaries. Mm -hmm. And here's what happens. So we have to remember that it's one thing to set a boundary and it's another thing to maintain a boundary, two yes, separate things. <laughs> and the other thing, and I really will say this is sort of the secret about boundaries that no one, that no one talks about is that it's up to us to uphold respect and honor our own boundaries. It's not up to anyone else. So we get resentful we think other people are crossing our boundaries. Perhaps you had the idea that this client was crossing your boundaries. And the truth of the matter is it's because we're allowing someone mm -hmm. to cross. We're enabling someone to cross our boundary. So the maintaining of the boundary always has to come back to what am I putting in place to ensure that this boundary doesn't get crossed and how am I going to take care of myself in the process? I love this on so many different perspectives. I love it from the mom standpoint because mm -hmm. I, I mean, I have five kids. Yes. Four-year-old twins up to a 16, almost 17-year-old. And also from the entrepreneur side. Also, and I'm just going to put it out there, from the wife standpoint. I mean, sure. I've had to tell my husband, five o'clock in the morning is not an acceptable t time to wake me up. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, because you want some. I'm asleep. I need my yep. sleep. Leave me alone. Yeah, and yep. I, that's not something I would normally share. But unless you actually state this stuff, it's not going to be known. So if I didn't actually speak like on that one, my husband thought it was fine because I never said anything. Exactly. And so we're enabling people to cross. Mm -hmm. You know. And the other thing I will say is people have this idea that boundaries are scary and that boundaries are mean and that, you know, there's a lot of fear around the idea of setting a boundary and boundary can be done with grace and love. Even your example of, you know, I, you know, even from the place of like, I'm so flattered and honored that you want to wake me up at 5 a.m. <laughs> However, I really need my sleep. So why don't we actually together pick out some times that are going to work for both of us exactly. or whatever, you know, but to be able to come in, with a solution to be able to, instead of, instead of quote unquote, making him wrong or instead of shaming, doing mm -hmm. anything that's shaming to actually come in with, here's a, you know, let's collaborate on a solution. Absolutely. What was the scariest shift in boundaries or establishment of boundaries that you ever made for yourself? I would say that, I mean, the, the, the shift that resulted was, not was not being liked by everybody. You know, the yeah. truth of the matter is, you know, that when we start taking really good care of ourselves, um, there are, there are relationships that will go to the wayside. There are changes that will happen because I'm now more willing to take in, to take myself into account than I'm willing to take you into account or I'm at, or, you know, I'm at least willing to take myself into as much account mm -hmm. as you. Whereas in the past, I was so externally referenced, other referenced, 
I was always taking in every single other person. I was taking them into account far more over me. So I would say that the biggest shift for me has been, has been around really getting completely okay and comfortable with having differences with people, staying connected in our difference, and really being okay if, if a relationship has to go in a different direction because that's the result of me honoring me. I didn't realize that it was okay. And, and I really think that this all needs to be taught to kids. Mm-hmm. Big time. Why do we need to wait until our thirties to learn this? Right. Big time. Yeah. You know, this whole thing of what, you know, what am I, I'm going to do whatever it takes to ingrati- ingratiate myself, you know, with you, I'm going to do whatever it takes so that I can, uh, you know, so that I can buy your love essentially because, Mm -hmm. because, and so here's what happens and I'll, I'll tie this back around when we are other referenced, when we are boundary less, (laughs) we are, we are determining our own value and worth by what we do, what we achieve, what we produce And we're putting our sense of worthiness in the hands of others. So we're letting other people be the determiner of our worth. I hope you're all listening to this listeners. (laughs) Right. It's, it's important. This is, I mean, this is critical and we don't learn this. Mm -mm. We don't learn this. I just this year have turned off Gmail notifications. I use Gmail or Mm -hmm. G suite for you know, for business emails. Yeah. I've turned off text notifications for the most part. All notifications that can be turned off have been turned off. And it was a shocker for some clients. Why isn't she responding? I sent her a message five minutes ago. Better send her a Mm -hmm. nudge. You know, and when I, the first step was just turning off the notifications. The second one was, you know, I'm, I'm reclaiming my nights and weekends. Now, between you and me, podcast listeners... Do I still check on nights and weekends? Yeah. But by finally not getting to the point, I mean, Mm -hmm. I I will even go so far as to schedule my response to go out the next morning. Yep. Because I don't want people to know that I'm working. Yep. Yeah. And it's all about, I, I coach many clients around this and it is, it's all about, it's all about like preempting. It's all about setting the boundary from the, from the, from the outset. Because boundaries are also the way that we teach people how to treat us. So we start, we start, you know, giving people expectations. I mean, back when I was in my Hay House job, especially, I was like famous for barely like, you know, an, an email would come in and I would reply so quickly that the person like had just sent the email, you know, <laughs> and then I started realizing like, wow, I'm actually basing my value on how fast I can respond to an email. But how fast were you responding to your own needs? Right. Of course. I didn't mm-hmm. have any needs. I mean, I was priding myself on having no needs at that time in my life, you know, and that comes from a long history of, of my own experience as a small child losing my brother died when I was two years old. He had been very ill and I had really, you know, I had imprinted this belief system around my brother. My brother's needs were far more important than mine. Better I have no needs. Better I be self-sufficient. 
in order to take care of myself since he was so needy. So mm-hmm. I really went through, I really went through most of my life uh, denying myself even the idea that I had needs. Mm-hmm. And that, that even brings on an interesting thought of boundaries because I mean, you, you had your own self-imposed boundaries that you didn't think you could go out. At least it's what it sounds like to me, you know, do it myself, do it myself. And I had a lot of do it myself too. Yep. Do it myself. I can't ask for help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the asking for help, you know, that is, I'd say in the last, that's new for me, definitely inside of this last decade of my life, asking for help. So you got divorced in what, 2010, how did your transition out of Hay House as the events Mm -hmm. director, director, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to use the wrong word. Um, That's okay. uh, How did that evolve? Yeah. So that evolved because I was, uh, I was asked in 2010, as I was going through my divorce, I was asked to I should say I have a master's degree in poetry. I was asked to write a poem to read during the ceremony of two of my coworkers at Hay House who were getting married right as I was getting divorced. And I read the poem and Reed Tracy, who's the president and CEO of Hay House and a dear friend, heard the poem. And he was like, oh, my God, you're like a real poet. And, you know, I said, well, I do have a master's degree (laughs) And he said, I want you to start sharing your poems on stage as you're introducing all the keynote speakers for the Hay House I Can Do It conferences. So at that time, you know, we were doing many, several uh, of these I Can Do It conferences a year for thousands and thousands of people. I think, you know, anywhere from 3,000 to 7,200, I think, was the biggest one we did. And, you know he asked me to, he said, you know, start reading your poems as you're introducing Louise and Wayne and whoever. And I thought it was a crazy idea because first of all, who wants to hear me? And second of all, uh, it's very different to, you know, introduce someone, announce the lunch break than it is to sort of pour your heart and soul out on the stage. (laughs) But I did start doing it. And, you know, my poetry is very personal. And I really thought at first, I didn't think that, I didn't think anyone wanted to hear what I had to say. And I didn't think anyone would resonate. And yet the truth of the matter is the more specific we get, the more universal it becomes. And I'll never forget, it was in Pasadena, California at one of the I Can Do It's, one of the early ones uh, that I started sharing my poems. Someone came up to me and said, I thought I came to this conference to hear Wayne Dyer speak. And I came here to hear that poem. Wow. And it was like, even right now, I can feel it in my body. I can feel what that felt like. It was astonishing to me. And so around this time, I also, after I did the weekend workshop that Debbie had said, I want you to do this workshop and and have your staff produce it, I decided to go through Debbie's year-long coaching certification and training program just for myself, just to connect the dots, just to know my inner world. I had my dream job at Hay House. I never in a million years thought I would leave. 
So I did my coaching certification. I ended up self-publishing a book of poems, which is my very first book called Writing for My Life. You know, Reed was very supportive of me, but he wasn't about to publish a book of poetry for me. (laughs) So I self-published my poetry book. Um, And I also self-published my second book called Jump in Your Life Will Appear. And as I was working on Jump in Your Life Will Appear, as I was working on that book, You know, I had now gotten my coaching certification and I actually was unrecognizable from the woman who had begun that training that I started wanting to coach. I started really wanting to help other people get free. So I was just building a little side hustle, a coaching business on the side of my job at Hay House. And I was still traveling like crazy, like 200 days a year and the whole thing. And one day, Reed and I were in Australia. We were there for an event, and we were out for a walk, as we often were. And he he said to me, I sense that you're at the end of your rope. And I said, I am. In fact, I've been wanting on this particular trip to tell you that I want to quit my job. And he he said to me, I'll tell you when you can quit your job. (laughs) And he said, I would love to see you really solidify your coaching practice and your platform and get everything in place, get this book published. So he was talking about jump, get this next book published because I was self-publishing it, get all of this in place so that when you leave, you have something to go to. So I spent over a year in, in the transition building my side hustle, building my, prof- uh, my, my platform, building my solid client load, getting everything in place, self-publishing my book. And then, and then that book came out in February of 2014. And then in April of 2014, two months later, Reed called me and said, hey, your book's doing really well. Hey House actually wants to pick it up. And that was incredible to me. Wow. And then about a month later, he called me and he said, okay, you can go now. And I was like, are you firing me? (laughs) And he said, no, this was our plan. And, you know, he was like, if you don't leave now, you're not going to leave. So you Mm -hmm. need to go, you know? And he was right. He's like, you've got everything in place. This is the time. Hey there, my friend. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. I wanted to take a quick moment to invite you to join the Work Smarter, Not Harder Challenge. Over the course of 30 days, these free, yes, free, short videos will teach you a few of the systems and strategies I set up in my business so I can get away from my computer and back to the people I love. I invite you to sign up now at WorkSmarterNotHarderChallenge.com. Again, you can sign up at WorkSmarterNotHarderChallenge.com. So I have two questions about that. The first one is, how did you, and I don't like this expression because I get it asked all the time, but how did you do it all? But maybe I'll add an ending to that without getting burnt out, or did you? Because that's a lot to get done in here. Regardless of whether or not you have. Oh, yeah. It was, you know, I, I can tell you that I didn't. Um, I didn't really full feel the full effect of my burnout until I would say even, 
even like two years after leaving my job. Mm. So probably not till even about 2016. Wow. So I, I was just on autopilot. I was just on full throttle, muscle through, get it done. And I, I have tremendous endurance and stamina. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I don't have it any, I don't have it in that way anymore. I can tell you right now that who I am today, I couldn't do my job at, Hey, I couldn't do that event director job for one minute. I wouldn't have the tolerance for it. I wouldn't be able to do it the way I did it. Let me say it that way. Mm -hmm. There's no way, no way in hell. I don't, I don't have, I don't have it anymore. I was at an event last week or two weeks ago for podcasters Mm -hmm. in the, the event organizing team. I mean, they were there two hours before I got there every morning and I thought I got there early and they were still down at the bar after I called it because I couldn't drink one more drink okay listeners you yep. know <laughs> yeah I, I can drink um and I can drink under people or people under the table which I probably shouldn't be admitting but when they are still there and I'm coherent enough to see that they are still there and they are back in the room the next morning it's like oh my gosh yeah I can totally feel what you just said because that is not a job for all the reasons that you just right, said. Right, right. I wouldn't want to. I mean, there's so there's upset people when they don't get the right lunch or their name badge is typoed or just get over it. You know, that's what I would say. And I know that I would be fired the first day. So here's another piece of synchro- um, serendipity for listeners. I was talking to one of my very early clients just maybe a month ago and Nancy, I already shared this with you, but I told her that you were going to be on the podcast. And she's like, Mm -hmm. well, you know, that's Nancy's the reason I wanted to get Infusionsoft, right? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. She's like, well, I saw how Nancy was doing it. And that's when I showed a whole bunch of my friends and we all decided we wanted Infusionsoft too. And that's, that's how you got sponsored, Kim. (laughs) That is hilarious. I had no idea that you were impacting my life five years, four years, however many years before, you know, I read Worthy and got introduced. I mean, and I read Worthy maybe at the end, well, a year ago now, and that was five years ago. And yeah, that, that group of people sponsored me to fly down to Arizona. I was six months pregnant with twins when I did it and, and got in and became certified. And that changed the whole trajectory of my business from there on after. So thank you. You are very welcome. <laughs> I mean, I know it's such, you know, it's it's not necessarily how you were meaning to inspire people, but I'm so appreciative. Oh, my goodness. You're so welcome. What have been some of your learning curves since starting your business? I mean, I, I know that with the vast array of responsibilities that you had with Hay House, how did that come into play when you became, you know, self-employed entirely? You know, it's so interesting that you asked me this question because I was just slacking this morning with a member of my team and she was, she was, um, complimenting me on my leadership style. (laughs) And she said, I, I often see how everything you did at Hay House in that job translates here now, even though I'm no longer producing, you know, massive events and doing all of that. 
but I do think it's that it's, it's around the way that I really, I really trust people to do what they say they're going to do instead of micromanaging. And that was a big thing for me to have to learn around delegation and around trusting and around learning that people will make mistakes and also understanding that what I used to make, what I used to make making a mistake mean about me and being able to really stay in, stay in the trust and stay in the collective of being able to create something that is bigger, that is bigger than I am. You know, even, you know, I'm just, you know, as we are recording, I am launching an entirely new venture, which is the Love and Life Coach Academy. So I'm opening the doors to my first certification and training program. And it's a legacy project. You know, it's like, I feel that I am carrying on the legacy of, you know, Louise, Wayne, and Debbie Ford, especially the, leg- the legacy of leadership with integrity and trust and truth and depth. And so I feel that everything that I have been up till now is informing who I am still becoming. Going back to what you said about mistakes and then tying it in with launching. Sure. How many emails have had a typo so far? Right. Like a million. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The reason I bring that up, my dog Penny thought that was hilarious, by the way. I don't know if anybody else heard the bark, but, um, what I noticed with some of my clients is that the ones who got really uptight about mistakes like typos struggled while the ones who didn't don't, well, that's not to say they don't struggle. I would love to meet an entrepreneur who doesn't ever with one yep. thing or another, yep. but the ones who didn't, who don't get all uppity about, for example, me accidentally putting in my own website link as a space holder. <laughs> Yes. And and then that email going out. I mean, he's like, next time, would you just give me an affiliate link? You know, those are the ones who don't face as much resistance in moving forward because they totally recognize that mistakes happen as part of this learning. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And I gave up trying to prevent grammar issues and typos a long time ago. And so now every single one of my emails that goes out to my list says, Positive productivity is not about perfection. Please pardon typos and grammar errors. Yes. Do you know how much that has cut down on feedback yes. about typos and grammar errors? Yes. I mean, it cracks me up the people who really find it necessary to let me know. know By the way, there's a, there's a typo in your Instagram story. Ugh. And I'm like, you know what? I see that there's a typo. And... This just shows my own evolution that there was a time that I would have taken that down and I would have been in a shame spiral and I would have made it mean I'm stupid and whatever. And now I proudly leave it up because I have embraced my imperfection. (laughs) Mm. I shared with you before we went live. I had a Facebook live this morning. Yep. And I didn't know where to look on the screen. I'm I'm trying, people. I'm trying. I want to I want to go live consistently. But where am I supposed to look? At the screen? At the camera? Somewhere in between? And I look like I'm absolutely drunk. I I had had one half cup of coffee. Apparently, that's enough to make me fidgety. And I look absolutely ridiculous. But I'm leaving it up there. And I even put a comment down below. You know, 
one of these yep. days I'll figure out where I'm supposed to be looking for the time being, just accept, accept my drunkness or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But even six months ago, yeah, that would have come down. What do you suggest to somebody who is struggling with boundaries right now? The first step is really coming back to yourself and it might be coming to yourself for the first time. So it's really recognizing how often you are saying yes when you want to say no, how long, how often you are acquiescing or going along without offering up your own desire or opinion, even in the ways that, that, you know, where do you want to go to dinner? I don't know. Where do you want to go? You know, start actually begin with checking in with yourself. Huh? I want sushi tonight. I'm going to say, I want sushi tonight. Now there still might be a collaboration around where you're going to go to dinner, but it is, it all is going to begin with checking in. What do I want? What do I need? What works for me? How do I take my, myself into account here as much as, if not even more than others? Because what I see time and time again is, you know, we'll set the table for someone else with the fine china, the crystal, the silver, the whole nine yards, and the big juicy steak or the big juicy tofu. And then we are standing in the kitchen, if there's anything left over, eating scraps and crumbs over the sink. Hmm. And it's literal and metaphorical. <laughs> or I should say it's metaphorical and literal, <laughs> you know? So we have to make sure that we're really giving ourselves a seat at the table. So to me, the boundary piece from the very, from the very beginner, like the very beginning, and I have a whole piece in my book, setting boundaries will set you free around how to set your beginner boundary, because it really just is about starting to get clear on your preference, starting to get clear on your desire, starting to name what you need. It's not about making someone else wrong. It's about how do I, how do I state what I need and take care of myself in the process. One of the first pieces, but first let me just say, I can't wait to read this book, but one of the first pieces that I had to come to grips with was that if I felt like I still needed to respond immediately, it was totally okay to say, I need some time to think about this. Exactly. And normally I would have been just like you were talking about before. I mean, even in the paralyzed state, like you're talking about in the courtroom, just like, okay, I guess I have to settle for this. And I have settled so many times thinking, okay, it's not going to get any better than this. You know, just take it because if you don't take it, you're not going to get anything else. Mm -hmm. Right. But allowing but myself what we're to actually, say. Right. Because what we're actually doing then is limiting, limiting the possibility of what more can come. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And just yeah. in the past month, I actually had to learn to say to my husband, I can't talk to you about this right now. I mean, he, it, we can, in any relationship, it's so f easy sometimes to get all heated. And I just, I mean, I had to, I felt like I was going back to high school, just put my hand up <laughs> to him and say, not right now. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm thinking about high school in the nineties, just <laughs> show me, show him the <laughs> hand, but nope, <laughs> back away for a moment. Yeah. And I often, you know, I often do coach clients to say, like, if you can say no right away to any incoming request, say no. If you can't say no, simply say some version of, I'm, I'm, I'll let you know tomorrow. You know, some version of being able to buy yourself some time so that you don't just go to the default of the knee jerk yes. Nancy, I would love your recommendation. And I'm asking for quite selfish reasons. <laughs> For somebody who's 
already agreed to do something and they realize it's just not the best opportunity for them. What about the recourse then? Because there's still boundaries. You know, we should all be able to go back and this isn't a written contract or anything, Mm -hmm. you know, in in reconsidering, I'm realizing that this isn't just best for me. Yeah. And And it can be something like that, you know, because again, we're weighing, we're weighing, am I willing to... Am I willing, who I'm going to, someone's going to be disappointed. It's either me or you. And I'm, I'd like to take the chance here to actually honor myself and disappoint you instead. (laughs) And really, I don't even use the language disappoint you. It's really about, you might be disappointed as impact to what I say in response to what I say, but I don't go into the whole, I disappointed you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it can be something, you know, in, in reconsidering, it can be something like that. A simple language in reconsidering. I'm realizing that I'm not, I'm no longer available to do this. And, you know, and I'm sorry, can come in if it feels right. Not in this situation. <laughs> but not, okay. Yeah. And it's just, you know, and it's just yeah. like in, in look, you know, in looking what's on, at what's on my plate, I realized that, that I, that, you know, or even, you know, I was in error. I shouldn't have said yes, but I did. You know, whatever it is. Oh, I love that. But but we don't have we also don't have to go into a big song and dance about excuses and reasons. You know, I oh, often will say gosh. no, no is a complete sentence. And we don't owe anyone an excuse or a reason. And if some, you know, so if it's like, you know, will you do XYZ and you just simply say I'm not available for that or no, and they say why? We don't owe them, but we just usually jump right into, well, my dog is sick and I have to take my kid to school and I have to do this for my mother. No, it's just, I'm not available for that. Do you think excuses, and even in a case like that, where they, where they're asked for, do they have the potential to bring us like our reputation and expertise, whatever down? I mean, and I asked just because that's been another huge learning development of mine for the past year is. I was, I was sending novels. I would include the excuse. And I realized, I don't know what, I must've gotten hit by a two by four one day, but I was like, why? This is taking you 18 minutes to write and you could just say, no. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's where, you know, it's always checking in. What's the, where's, what's the motivation or the, or the intention coming from to do that, to rationalize or justify, because that's really what excuses are and give some kind of reason, you know? And so when you said something about like, do they have the ability to take me down? That's fear. So you're, you're giving excuses out of fear Mm. because you feel there's some kind of threat at play. Mm. Yeah. You know, I always felt like I needed to say more because mm -hmm. most people do. And Mm. I'm the proponent of, you know, the fewest amount of words possible and, and in setting boundaries will set you free. I have a whole piece in there around what I call the company line, so to speak. And it's really that you find what you're going to say. And that might be the thing you say 27 times. Hmm. You just come back to that one singular. I'm not available for that. What do you mean? You're not available for that, but I did this for you last week. I'm not available for that. Why aren't you available? I happen to know that you're free today. I'm not available for that. You know what I'm saying? 
I need to get a one of those staples buttons for my desk. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what it says, especially right. towards the teenagers. Right. Just because right. they work at home and Yeah. I mean Oh, that's a big one. Uh, it's a big one. Yeah. Just yeah. because I work at home does not mean I can go get a background check during the day so I can be den leader for my Girl Scouts troop. Mm -hmm. Just because I'm home does not mean I can cater your mom's chauffeuring needs to 18 right. different friend houses after school That's today. right. That's right. I don't have really any problem telling my kids to know. It mm -hmm. it just needs to expand beyond including husband yeah. and, and everywhere yeah. else. Yeah. 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 Well, for listeners who are wondering, I know that the your new book, Setting Boundaries Will Set You Free, will be out shortly after this episode is released. But this episode is going to go on forever. I mean, in a good way, <laughs> you know, out yes, there into the airways. So where yes, can of course. listeners go to get their copy? And I know that there's also the the pre-launch leading up so before episode or before launch date and after launch date if there's two different links would be awesome yes so uh you can go to nancylevin.com slash book and that will provide you the pre-launch goodies if you pre-order the book you'll get you'll get some great bonuses and always at my website nancylevin.com Everything, everything you need to know about me, where I'll be, what's going on, my social media, all the things. Your pocket guide is fabulous, by the way. <gasps> Thank you. Thank you. I'm very proud of it. <laughs> yes, listeners, I will make sure that there's links in the show notes, which, by the way, you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP636. I'll make sure there's links to everything that we've talked about, including Nancy's books and I, I'm just going to put it out there. You need to go get your boundaries, your pocket guide, because <laughs> it's you. been priceless. Thank I, you. I have one last question. And sure. Then, and then the, the typical follow-up questions. But um, if you could go back, and well, to aspiring authors, I guess my question would be, and you know I'm an aspiring author, would you do self-publishing again? I loved self-publishing. I Here's what I love. I turned in a manuscript and I had a book in my hands within three months. Traditional publishing is often a minimum of 12 months and most often more. And the, you know, so here's, and here's what I'll say, especially for aspiring authors, which to me means your first time authors in this day and age, advances are not what they used to be from the traditional publishing houses. So, you know, and the protocol for most, um, the protocol for most publishing houses is to submit a book proposal. So then you need an agent because most publishing houses don't, don't accept unsolicited submissions. So you need an agent, you need to do a book proposal, you need to get it accepted. You're going to get some small version of an advance and then it's going to take a really long time. So I especially like to say for entrepreneurs who are using a book as really a calling card, as a credential uh, for, their, it, for building their business or in their business, even if the business is well-established, that self-publishing is really a great way to go. And it can be inexpensive. It no longer has the stigma attached to it that it did of the past of it being like vanity publishing. 
And the bottom line is, and this is a myth that I bust often at the Hay House Writers Workshops, the truth of the matter is that whether you self-publish or are published by a traditional house, it is 100% up to the author to get that book into people's hands. So the number one most important thing for for your book is building your platform so that you have arms of distribution essentially. Not that you're sending the book out to people, but you have the you have the platform so that you have the arms out there to let people know this is here. That is so huge. Yeah. Especially in I mean doing marketing automation for clients all day, they think that okay, the landing page is up now, right. you know, now the world's going to come. No, right. So it's the, right. It's the field of dreams, marketing plan. Exactly. If you build it, they will come. <laughs> it does not work that way. Exactly. And, and it's never too late to start your Facebook page or your Instagram, start whatever, start your list. People start your list. Yep. If you just yeah. get it started. Critical. And I think the final key for me was that I just really want to make sure that my voice is maintained through my book. And I'm not saying that it wouldn't be with a traditional publisher, but especially with chronic idea disorder listeners, I'm finally working on it. And I just want to make sure that, I mean, even the title alone, that's the title, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not changing it because yeah, I've said it about 3000 times on the podcast. I'm afraid that by the time it actually gets released, the listeners will get tired of it. <laughs> yeah, and, and the truth of the matter is that most publishing houses that I know uh, do, not give or, give, do not give authors sign-off on title or cover. Yeah, no thank you. Yeah, yeah. so you have, you have much more control when you are the one self-publishing. Now, what I will say is, to make the book competitive... If you're self-publishing, you want to hire an editor. Mm-hmm. You want to hire a designer to do, to do your cover. You know, the old thing of you can't tell a book by its cover. Um, you can tell a book by its cover. Yep. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, we have a mutual connection. Who yes, I we do. Yes, yes. You, can, you should definitely link to Kelly and KM Literary as part of this. Yep. And actually. For sure. And if you talk, when you talk to her next, I'm getting requests for her email. Fabulous. I'm going to see her this weekend. We have a writer's workshop in Houston. Awesome. Yeah. Say hi for me. I will. Where can listeners find you online, connect, get to know more and just engage with you? Sure. I don't mean just engage. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Everything is at nancylevin.com. And I would say that I am... I am definitely most um, chatty on Instagram, however, definitely on Facebook too. And I have a private coaching membership where I'm also highly, highly interactive and engaging. So all the information for all of that's on my website. Listeners, I would love to know, and I'm sure Nancy would as well, what your biggest aha was out of this episode. So be sure to head on over to the show notes at thekimsutton.com forward slash pp636 and leave a comment down below the show notes. See how I did that? I was careful to say the right (laughs) word that time. (laughs) I love it. If you've been listening for a while, just go back. There's an episode where I didn't quite get that correct. I would love just one more request, Nancy. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can leave with listeners? You know, when I think about it, it's really about understanding the power of choice. So, 
if we look at where we are right now as the culmination of every choice we've made, every decision, every action, it only goes to prove that if we do nothing different, our future will arrive looking very much like our past. And so if we want something to change, we need to make a different choice. Our present moment choice predicts our future. Our present moment choice is that crystal ball that we're looking for. So to me, it always comes back to really consciously choosing and taking conscious action for different outcomes. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. Which is awesome. Okay, cool. Hey, awesome team. Just place this to the first piece, please. <laughs> Yay, awesome team. Yeah. <laughs> so I I just had a brain fart, but I knew what I was going to want. That's why I was going to say what I was about to say, which I now remember. Okay, now you can really start awesome team.